So last week, uh, we talked about what it means to be an invitational church, and we looked at four different types of soil and people and why people don't say yes to the gospel, you know, straight away. And for some of you, I wonder if it puts in your mind, and I want you to imagine a situation where you've actually plucked up the courage to share your faith, to tell someone about Jesus, and you're going to do that. And what is it that may stop you from doing that? And I wonder if, uh, like me, it's going to be their reaction to what you say. And I wonder if you've ever thought about the fact you might actually lose a friendship or a relationship. Something might actually be broken if you share the story of Jesus, even what Jesus has done in your life. But certainly, perhaps even more so, what he needs to do in their life. And I wonder if, and the word, let's use the word, you're scared of their reaction and how they're going to react. This week, um, my friend, uh, let's, let's, call her, let's call her Jane. My friend Jane sent me through a, a message and she said, she said, Mark, you need to do your Enneagram. Can I have a show of hands? Who knows what an Enneagram is? Just for, just for my, okay, we've got a few people that know what an Enneagram is. For those of you who don't know, an Enneagram is basically a personality test. It doesn't talk about your behavior. It talks about what motivates you in life. And that does drive your behavior. Businesses and other people use it. And basically, it gives you a personality profile, tells you what type of person you are, what motivates you, and that helps you in a group setting, in a work setting, to understand what motivates people and how it brings people together. Now, there's only a few of you, uh, and so there's only a few that may understand, but I'm a 2-3 on the Enneagram. Yes, no surprises. Thank you. Uh, Someone knows with a little bit of a nine. Now, for those of you who don't know, and that's most of you, uh, basically what that means is I'm the sort of person that my strength, and I'm telling you this story not because I like to talk about myself, (laughs) but because I actually want you to hear and maybe relate in this moment to what I'm saying. But I'm the sort of person that likes to gather people, uh, likes to uh, come and get people together for a party or a social setting or whatever it is. I, I like people being together uh, and I like uh, at some point to be the life of the party. And I, most of all, and this is a strength, I like to be liked. That's something in me that drives me. I like to be liked. Now, I wonder if you think about that, and I wonder if you think about that for yourself, what the weakness of that actually means. Because every strength you have has a corresponding weakness. If you tell me, I have this strength, I'm going to tell you, well, that's awesome. That means you probably have this weakness. The weakness of me, uh, being an Enneagram of 2-3 with a shade of 9, means that I like to be liked but I don't like to not be liked. And so what that means is I don't want to tell you something which I know you are then going to be upset at me about. I'm going to upset you by what I say. That's a problem. That's a problem with that. Because when we come to sharing your faith as a Christian, as someone, if you say this morning, and not all of you will, But if you are someone that says, I follow Jesus, Uh, Jesus is is a very important part of my life, and I believe in 
heaven. I believe in hell. I believe in eternity. I believe Jesus came to save us. Then actually it's your, like it's actually an act of obedience. It's actually your responsibility to share the good news about Jesus. But of course we've got a problem, don't we? We're going to talk about that today. We're going to, we're going to have to confront some things. In fact, if you're, if you're really getting down to the nitty and gritty about it, Jesus came to save people. But the, the problem is, right, they need to be saved. Why do they need to be saved? Because there's this old term uh, that we are all sinners, which means we've all messed up. Ever sat with someone and said, actually, you're the problem? <laughs> In this group, you're the problem? So I was talking to another uh, person and they were telling me about a university assignment, and it was a group project. For those of you who have been to university uh, or maybe in other settings and you've had to do a group project, what's the problem with doing a group project? The group. Well, it's normally one or two people in the group. So, you know, in this group project, you've got one person that is fastidious and gets the stuff done on time. Right? And, and it's all in order. You've got someone else that gets stuff done, but not exactly on time. You've got someone that else in the group that doesn't even turn up to the meetings. You know? And you're like, we're all carrying you in this project, and yet you want the same mark as the rest of us. It's like, what? How does that work? And you wonder how that person skates the way through their university degree, but somehow they seem to. It's frustrating and confronting to have to turn to that person in the project and say, you're the problem. Get the stuff done. Uh, and, and then maybe, well, I don't know what you do. Do you go and tell the professor? Maybe you should. Maybe you should do that. But in all settings of your life, being candid and confronting people and you know, saying, well, actually, the, this is the problem. And that's, that's confronting. And, and it's confronting for a, a person like me. And I imagine uh, it's probably confronting for a person like you too. And yet it's something we're meant to do. So today we're going to unpack a story. And, you know, Jesus was, Jesus was human. He had human characteristics. And I imagine part of his personality being someone that gathered people around him, not only the 12, but 70 and women and children and, 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 and hangers on. And I imagine there was moments in his life, well, he, this is good. I'm, I'm happy to be with people. He was human. And there was a moment in his life where he was actually really popular and something changed. I've got a couple of things on stage and you may have noticed that we have here a cushion. And a cushion has absolutely its uh, uses. If this was my cushion, it'd have cat hair all over it. But this is not my cushion. And, and the thing that's good about a cushion is it's soft and it's comfortable and it's good. And I think we all love a cushion. And I wonder if the story of grace and God's grace for us and how much God loves us can at times be a cushion. It's soft and it's warm and it's comforting. And if you're in my house, there's far too many of these on the bed. But that's another story. There's the cushion. Over here, we have a brick. And a brick is hard and a brick is heavy. And if I throw this brick at you, someone's going to get hurt and I'm going to get sued, right? But the brick is hard and, it's, and it's, it's not comfortable and no one wants to put their head on a brick. But you can't build a house out of a cushion. 
You can't build something strong and something that lasts out of a cushion. And I wonder if the brick is truth. And I wonder if the brick is sometimes what needs to be said. And I think we need both. But we need, a gra- we need grace and we need truth. We need a cushion and we need a brick. There was a time in Jesus' life where he was really popular. In a few moments, not yet, we're going to look at Luke chapter 4. But just prior to this story of Jesus, as he launches out in his ministry life, really, as he, as he gives what may indeed be his first sermon, he's gone through baptism and this incredible time where the Spirit of God has come down and rested upon him. The voice of heaven has been heard, the Father God. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. He's been anointed for ministry. And then he gets led out into the wilderness by the devil, as I just read before, and he's tempted in all different types of ways. So he's tested and he's tried and he goes through pain. And then we get to this story in Luke chapter 4. And it's a story of, and some of your scriptures may have it, he's rejected at Nazareth. I think it's far more than that. And we're going to read this. I'm going to read this for you for Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual, that's a very important phrase, as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. It's a dramatic moment in his life. You know, as I look at that passage of scripture and that story, uh, being a pastor and a preacher myself, I think, isn't it amazing? The four things that, if I'm honest, every pastor, every preacher wants to be like is those four things we see in those first couple of verses. Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit's power. The power of God is upon him. You know, when God's power is upon you, it's incredible what can happen. You know, you're sharing your story with your friend. You're trying to tell someone about Jesus. If you are filled with the Spirit's power, that is power that can achieve amazing things. Can I tell you something? And some of you might be shocked. But um, I watch Billy Graham's clips on YouTube. And I watch what he does to try and learn. Because Billy Graham was truly an incredible figure in the life of the church. Hundreds of thousands of people came forward when he preached. And they became Christians. And songs were written that that people still sing. And I, I would hazard to say that the church wouldn't be the same as what it is now, certainly the Western church, without this incredible man being used by God. (laughs) <laughs> and this is where I'm really, like, I don't like, well, look, it's just, he wasn't, his preaching was pretty simple. Like, his stories were, they're good, and he had, he had good intonation, he spoke well. Like, there's nothing bad about what he said. But there was nothing particularly remarkable either. 
What was astounding was how God's power worked and used him. Ordinary man, really, in the hands of an extraordinary God. The power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was full of the Spirit's power. He had a good reputation. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. You know, when he tweeted something or put something on Instagram, he was instantly trending uh, in, in that place. Like the words he said and his influence was incredible. Wouldn't it be awesome to think that uh, churches and you as a believer, you'd have a great reputation? Man, the way things are going in the church at the moment, a pastor's reputation is about as low as a car salesman and a lawyer, and a bad lawyer at that. But, you know, uh, Jesus' reputation was, was good, and he was consistent. He taught regularly. I, I think consistency as a Christian and as a believer is one of the most underrated qualities that there is. Consistent. You are consistently doing the things the Lord asks you to do. He taught regularly. You know, there's a reason there are seven days. One day is for God to be in his house, to be doing the things of the Lord. This is what Jesus did. And he taught regularly in the synagogues. And he was praised by everyone. No one had a bad word to say about him. He could walk through a crowd and everyone says, there is Jesus. And this is particularly significant because... Jesus comes back to Nazareth to teach in the synagogue. And Nazareth was his hometown. It was where he was brought up. They knew him. And it was, it was a small place. It wasn't a big place. And it was the butt of people's jokes. So when they talked about Nazareth, it may be the same way. I won't even say. But it might be the same way we talk about particular suburbs in Perth and we might make jokes about Rockingham or something. <laughs> Hello to anyone in Rockingham. Uh, but, you know, Nazareth was that place that people made fun of. And, and so when they came to the synagogue, there weren't that many people there. And the preachers and the, well, the people that got up to speak, they would get up, they would read the, the scroll, and then they might say a few words. And normally the person that got up wasn't that good. And so here is Jesus, identified from a very young age. He would be at the temple and you know, he would astound them with his knowledge as a young man. And here he astounds them with what he says. Everyone's loving it. Everyone's saying how good he is. Everyone's saying his power is there. Everyone is loving his thing. Don't mess it up, Jesus. Don't wreck it. Just keep riding the wave. Keep doing what you're doing. Everyone's loving what you're doing. Everyone's loving the grace. Everyone's loving the good stories. Keep that wave riding. Today, this message has been fulfilled among you. The captives will be set free, that the blind will see. The lame will walk. And Jesus' ministry would be characterized by all these things. The power of God would be seen. And, and it's a foreshadow of the life that Jesus has. It's a foreshadow of his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom was coming. The kingdom was here because Jesus was here. Finally, the day had come. If, if you were part of that, synagogue and you were sitting back, you wouldn't perhaps you would know that passage. And you would know that Jesus had stopped 
in that reading from Isaiah, he had stopped, not where you normally would stop. But if you kept going, you're going to go into judgment. You're going to go into the day of the Lord is coming and and judgment is coming. And Jesus stops before all that. Isn't that interesting? You're thinking, why did he stop there? Because he's going to take a shift now and he's going to wreck all his good work. He's going to go from this, which is good, and he's he's going to go here. And we read on in verse 23. Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physicians heal yourself. You know, I don't know, is that a foreshadow of something that was going to happen at the cross? When he's dying on the cross and they look up at him and they say, you said you're Messiah, heal yourself. You know, physician, heal yourself. Is it a foreshadow of what is about to come? Do miracles here, do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum? But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. There, there is actually going to be a miracle, which I'll talk about when we get to the end. I wonder if you see it. I wonder if you see the miracle that he will do here. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe Famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was instead sent to a foreigner, a widow in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. So let's just catch up here. Jesus is pointing out that the gospel and the good news is for the sinner, for the outcast. Their perception, particularly at that time, was that they were the good people. And they didn't want to be told that they weren't the good people. They were the good people that had done all the right things and always been there. It reminds me a bit of the story of the, the parable son, you know, where, where the, the son goes off and he spends the family inheritance and he has a, a life of rock and roll and sex and drugs and, and kills off half his father's inheritance. And then he comes back and his father goes running out to meet him. And that's amazing and wonderful. And we all sort of think, well, we're the son, we're the parable son coming back. I suspect we're not. I suspect if we're honest with ourselves, many of us are actually the other son, the older brother. And you've done the right thing. And you've been the right thing, and you're in a good place, and no one's going to say you're not. In fact, the Father even said that. But our temptation is is to do what he did and say, how come you're welcoming the outcast? How come you're showing amazing grace? How come you're pouring out? Where's my party? Where's my party, God? The thing about grace and God's grace is that it's scandalous and it's offered to those that we do not think it should be offered to. We don't. And this is what Jesus is doing in this story. He's pointing out, you know, you say you're the good people, but God's grace, God's good news. And the hard part about the good news, it's for those that maybe we don't think deserve it. That's certainly what happened here. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him 
and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Why did, you know, why did Jesus have to pick up the brick? Why did he have to do that? Why do you have to pick this up? Couldn't he just kept going with the cushion? The cushion's soft. Everyone likes the cushion. And the cushion's true. God's grace is for everyone. Why do you have to pick it up and, and point out to them what their issue was? Because that's hard. No one wants that. And that the mood of the crowd turns and suddenly he's not popular preacher anymore. He's preacher we want to push off the side of the cliff. And I've been there. No, I haven't. You know, the truth is that if you go away from today not understanding that indeed you are a sinner and indeed the Lord wants to deal with whatever it is inside of you, that's the challenge for us, is to take a step back. And if ever we've had an attitude which is like, how come this person can come in? How can we let this person in? Why, why this? And, and I, I feel like maybe God will confront you with that and bring that into your life. But also the, the other lesson from the story is that it, it's your responsibility to speak truth into others' lives. And you're not always going to be popular in that moment when you do that. If we get to the point where we can actually be truly honest with each other and in a spirit of love and concern for the other person, tell them the truth that we see and tell them what's actually going on in their lives, that, that can very well be a point of growth. And for me, whenever someone's come and given feedback or told me things, there are moments where I don't want to hear it and there are moments where I want to push that away. But some mud always sticks. And I wonder this morning if you're willing and open to hear what it is that God wants to do and how God wants to deal in your life. But I also wonder if you're willing to be someone that can actually be a truth teller as well because that is the complete story of the scriptures. What's the miracle in the story? Well, it's quite humorous. In fact, I think it's funny is the fact that the miracle is the fact that Jesus just passed right through the crowd and went on his way. When they heard this, they were furious. There's a big mob and they're going to force him to the edge of the hill and, and then they're going to push him over the cliff. But he just passes right through the crowd and goes on his way. It's, it's funny. How did that even happen? You know, as the band uh, comes forward and our worship team comes forward, it's a good story to be encouraged as you share your faith. It's just a really good reminder that Christianity is not about being popular. And as much as, you know, we've absolutely need to be gracious and we need to understand all these things, when it comes down to what the truth is, it's not always going to be popular. But having said that, the most important thing, I think, for me as I look at this passage is who was Jesus most harsh to? Who, who was he critical of the most? Who did he have the harshest words for in the Bible? And it was never for those that were caught in adultery. It was never for those 
that were so clearly and so obviously sinners. It was never those that had messed up their lives. It was never those that we would perhaps in our own weakness say, well, look, they're the sinners. The harsh words he always reserved are for people like us who've forgotten what an amazing and incredible story of grace Jesus has. So as the helpers come up, and we're going to be having communion together, I'd ask the helpers to come now and get ready. And if you're watching at home online, I'd ask you to get ready for this. I want this moment to be a moment where you confess. And when you ask the Lord, Lord, what is it in me that right now you want to work on? Because if, if you're like me, there's plenty. What is it, Lord, in this moment that you want to work on me about? I'm sorry, Lord, that I have been whatever it is. But I'd love this just to be a moment of just confession between you and the Lord. We come forward just keeping distance as much as we can. Take the bread, which represents the body of Christ. Take the cup, which represents his blood shed for us. Take it back to where you're sitting. And just have some moments of confession, maybe moments of reflection, maybe moments where you just say, Spirit of God, point out to me what it is you want to say. And as the band comes and just sings for us, let's do that now.